0: And welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest news, explain uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics include... With the surge of coronavirus cases in the NFL, can the league really complete a full season? Plus, entering Week 13, which playoff contenders have the best shot of making it into the NFL postseason? And... Who won and lost the Russell Westbrook John Wall trade? It's Episode 5 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. dive deep into our episode, I once again want to wish that everyone had a happy Thanksgiving last week, and I hope everyone was safe and healthy. Now then, we begin our episode today by talking about the surge in COVID-19 cases in the NFL. Obviously, if you've noticed, the cases have been popping all around the league. We've seen star players test positive. We've seen multiple players go on the COVID list. And this is a really tough time for the NFL because it was so much easier in the beginning of the year because there were bye weeks. The bye weeks, they can help you readjust and postpone games to later on during bye weeks and just move your bye weeks up. But there's only two teams on a bye week entering week 13, and those teams have been very successful with managing their coronavirus cases. That's Tampa Bay and Carolina. The big team, obviously, has been Baltimore. They've had 22 players test positive. 20 of them went on the COVID list. 12 of them tested positive. And the thing with Baltimore, though, is that they need multiple days off. Okay, they've put 22 players at risk and multiple more with staff. And they need multiple days off. Now, after the Steelers game... We don't know where this could go. We don't know if Pittsburgh will come down with the same thing that Baltimore did. But the good thing for Pittsburgh is that they're going to have a couple of days off too. They could shut down their facility, do everything virtually. But for Baltimore, it it was just so sad to see how the entire surge for them came up. The fact that one coach did not have his mask on and put the entire team in danger. That's just... That's very irresponsible, you know, whether you agree with it or not, you have to put that mask on. Uh, But really, I think the league overall, if I had to give it a grade, probably about a B minus, maybe a C plus, because it hasn't been perfect, but it's been managed well. Yes, there have been players who have gone on the COVID list, but I think the fact that they've gone into week 13 and this is the second time they've had to deal with this. You know, there are only a handful of teams that really had their schedules affected. That's New England, Tennessee, and now Baltimore. And obviously, you don't want to do this once. But I think the league has done a very good job. And remember, they're not in a bubble. You know, teams are traveling cross-country to play these games. And the fact that it is the way it is, it is not bad. I will give the NFL credit for me personally and I like what the league is doing now getting more strict with some of these penalties for any kind of violations because remember they did investigations about Tennessee they looked at Baltimore and of course you can't forget the Denver situation but you have to remember what the punishments have been the Patriots got fined 350,000 dollars for when Cam Newton tested positive. The Saints lost their some draft picks and got fined because of violations. And of course Denver, I'll say it again, they had no quarterbacks. So this is what the league is doing, taking this very seriously. I like what they're doing with that. And I like them getting tougher and tougher with that. Now the big question obviously as you see the entire country surging in cases is can they go a step further in terms of safety that is the big thing because they've already enforced that every player if they're not in the game or possibly ready to go in from the sidelines they got to wear their masks on that is the big change that the nfl is doing but can they do more with the playoffs so close and remember there are a ton of of tight playoff races, which we'll get to in our next segment. But you have to wonder, can the NFL do more? And honestly, I think the league has done all that they can in all these penalties that they gave out to previous teams. Now it's up to the players and the coaching staff. It's up to them to be responsible. And obviously, most teams are doing better than others in terms of cases and putting people on the COVID list. It's up to the it's up to the team now. It's up to the team. And they should look at what happened in New England, in New Orleans, in Denver, Baltimore. They should look at this and start to take this seriously. If they want a full season to play out, if we wanna get to Tampa in February and see Super Bowl fifty five, they need to take this seriously. Nothing can be taken lightly, whether you agree with it or not. This is all about finishing a season. And the question is going to become, are some of the players going to continue or could they opt out? I say no. I think they're going to keep going. But obviously with the playoffs so tight, everyone's going to think about how they can get to the postseason, which means everyone should take this virus extremely seriously if they haven't already. Then and talking about some actual games going on, we enter week 13 and it's surprising how fast this season has come along. We're already into week 13 and now we have to take in the playoff picture extremely seriously. There are only a handful of games left and it's going to be real fascinating to see what happens this week. So for this week, I'm going to break down the standings and who I really think has their best shot of entering postseason action and we'll look at the standings as well with the seven teams remaining now then uh first i want to say with pittsburgh at 11 and 0 i see them dropping a game again eventually in the future and i see kansas city overtaking them for the number one and i see buffalo winning the afc east maybe getting that three or four seed and getting a home game uh but To continue in the AFC, we have six teams right now that are vying for four playoff spots. The Titans, the Dolphins, the Colts, the Ravens, the Raiders, and the Patriots. Though the Patriots are very slim. We'll talk about that in our Let's Get Local segment. But I want to look at the AFC South race first. And I still think that Indianapolis should be the favorites, even though Tennessee just blew them out of the water. Because remember, the Colts didn't have their leading running back, Jonathan Taylor. Okay, he was on the COVID list. And every single defense has such a hard time stopping Derrick Henry. So Derrick Henry was just blasting. But I really do think that Indy should still be the favorite. Because when you look at their schedule, it looks so much easier to finish the year versus the Titans. The Colts this week are going to be at Houston. Then they'll be at Las Vegas. Home versus Houston at Pittsburgh versus Jacksonville. That'll end their year. And Tennessee, it doesn't get easier for them. They're hosting Cleveland, then they travel to Jacksonville, they host Detroit, they go to Green Bay, and they go to Houston, and that ends their year. And I think the Colts have a much easier schedule because you play Houston twice. And I know Houston's tough, but I think Indy, I said it last week, with that defense, the way that it's going, they're still a top five defense in the entire league, and they should be taken seriously. But I ultimately do think that both will make the playoffs. I think the Colts and the Titans both will make the playoffs. Because Tennessee, they're a great team. Obviously, we mentioned Derrick Henry. You can't stop that train once it's on the tracks. But I think Indianapolis, the way that defense is still good, I still think with all the offense that's gone on over the past few years, defense can still win games and they win championships. And I think Tennessee's going to stumble somewhere. You know, it could be this week against Cleveland. Because Cleveland is, they're sitting in the five spot at eight and three. They're thinking, if we win... We're going to lock ourselves into the playoffs. So they'll sort of be in desperation mode. Not to say Tennessee won't. But I think Cleveland's going to have much more to prove than Tennessee. But I ultimately do think those two AFC South teams will make the postseason. Now then, for the final spot, I like the Raiders. I I think the Raiders, yeah, they've had a struggling two games in that loss versus Kansas City and to Atlanta. But I still think they're the favorites right now. Because they have an easier schedule than the Ravens and the Dolphins. Because when you look at what the Raiders have to go through next, they're going to be at the Jets, they'll host the Colts, they'll host the Chargers, they'll host the Dolphins, and then they'll go to Denver to end the year. And I think John Gruden, he's an experienced head coach, and he's going to whip his guys into shape. Because remember, Baltimore... They had their, basically their second unit against Pittsburgh. They're at 6-5 and five right now. And then Miami, obviously, they're going back and forth with their quarterbacks in Tua and Fitzmagic. But when you look at the Ravens' schedule, they host the Cowboys. They go to Cleveland. They host the Jaguars. They host the Giants. And they travel to Cincinnati. Now, some would say that's an easier schedule than what the Raiders have to go through. But I just think Baltimore is on a downhill trend right now. They have just not looked good for the past probably month, I would say. Even some of their wins, you could see they completely struggled in, and they've had to come from behind. You know, I really think it all started with that matchup before their bye week against the Eagles, where they just squeaked out a two-point victory. And then after that, after their bye week, they've dropped four of their last five. And I've said it over and over and over. There's no versatility on Baltimore. And I think that's what's going to cost them their spot in the postseason. Now, for Miami, I just still think they're young in terms of all of their weapons. I know Fitzpatrick has a ton of experience. But if you're going back and forth between him and Tua, you you need one solidified quarterback to lead you to a possible postseason charge. And they're in the sixth spot right now but that could very well change in the next few weeks because they probably have the toughest schedule out of the three teams I just mentioned, them, the Ravens, and the Raiders, because they're going to be in Cincinnati, but then it doesn't get any easier. They host Kansas City. They host New England. They go to Las Vegas, and they go to Buffalo. Those are four very hard matchups to end the season for Miami, and I think... They're probably going to get the win when they host Cincinnati. But then, you know, I don't see anyone beating Kansas City. I think New England is still going to be fighting for that tiny, tiny postseason chance that they have. You obviously have that showdown with the Raiders. And then you have the AFC East champs, in my eyes, in the Bills. So that's not going to be any easier. So I think, with the way things are in no particular order, I think it's going to be the Steelers, the Chiefs. The Colts, the Bills, the Browns, the Titans, and the Raiders are the seven teams out of the AFC who make the postseason. Now then, in the NFC, though, I think that's a little more solidified right now with the teams that are currently in it. The only change that I could see is in the NFC East because, again, everyone's in that division. Because everyone's really, really bad in that division. But someone's going to get the home game. But I think the NFC is a little more solidified right now. Uh, The order, I think, though, is subject to change. Uh, Really in that top three. Obviously with the Saints, Seahawks, and Packers. But I think the Saints right now are the favorites in the NFC. Because that transition from Drew Brees to Taysom Hill has been absolutely flawless. For the Saints. And not only that. But their defense ranks in the top 5. In almost every statistical category. And if you can get a healthy Drew Brees. Entering postseason time. I think that is huge. Not only that. But you have a struggling Alvin Kamara. Who's probably going to pick it up. Once it hits postseason time. And then you have all of those weapons. And you can go back to Taysom Hill. Being that that X factor and be in the Swiss army knife that he's known to be. But I think the saints right now are the favorite. And then I would probably give the Packers, the number two spot and Seattle, the number three spot in, in my power rankings in the NFC. Now in the NFC East though, in my eyes, I think Washington is the favorite right now. I know the giants are leading that division, But there's no Daniel Jones for the Giants. Okay, and the Giants are going to have a very hard schedule. Four out of their next five games are going to be against teams over 500. And even that fifth game, when they end the season hosting Dallas, Dallas is still going to be fighting for their NFC East rights too. But the Giants have to go to Seattle. They have to host Arizona, host Cleveland, go to Baltimore, and host Dallas. That is not an easy schedule. And not to say it gets any easier for the rest. I mean, for Washington, they go to Pittsburgh. They go to San Francisco, which will be in Arizona. They host Seattle. They host Carolina. Then they go to Philly. That seems somewhat easier. But, I mean, you have the, when you compare it to everyone else, the Eagles have to go to Green Bay. They host the Saints. They go to Arizona. They go to Dallas. And then they host Washington. And then with Dallas, they go to Baltimore, to Cincinnati, host the 49ers, host the Eagles, and go to the Giants. I just think Washington right now is the more complete team right now in that division. They're really the most complete team. I think Alex Smith is getting his legs back under him. I think Gibson is a very underrated running back. And don't forget Terry McLaurin as well. I'd put him in a top 10 wide receiver rankings if you had me rank them. But I think Washington right now is the favorite. You have the struggling Eagles who have so many conflicts going on. Although the Eagles are going to get Zach Ertz back, so keep an eye out for that. Maybe that will give Carson Wentz the spark at quarterback. And then Dallas, obviously they have their struggles after the Thursday night game against Washington but I think Washington has to be the favorites right now to win that NFC East. And then the remaining three teams, the Rams, the Bucks, and the Cards, I think they will get in as well. I think those are gonna be those seven teams that I see in the NFC. And we're gonna find out sooner or later who the 14 teams to make the postseason in the NFL will be. So now we turn to the association where we just had a huge blockbuster trade involving the Washington Wizards and the Houston Rockets as they have swapped former all-star point guards for each other. John Wall on his way to Houston and Russell Westbrook on his way to the nation's capital. And then obviously you have a lottery protected 2023 first-round draft pick on its way to Houston. Now, a lot of people are wondering who got the better end of the deal. And if you ask me, I think the Wizards put themselves in a great spot now. You know, a lot of people were wondering what are they going to do. And I think they have an improved roster this year. I'm not going to say they're championship contenders, but I think that they will get themselves into the playoffs once again. Because remember, you do have Mr. Triple Double. And a former league MVP in Russell Westbrook joining probably one of the top 10 young superstars in the league in Bradley Beal. And then you have the emergence of Davis Bertans, a 6'10 forward who can stretch the floor. And not only that, but you have a good center in Thomas Bryant. You have a second-year player, Ruri Hachimura. And then don't forget all the assets that they picked up this offseason, they have Shabazz Napier, they got Robin Lopez, they have Jerian Grant, they have Troy Brown Jr., I think the Wizards have set themselves up much better. And I could see them getting into the play-in. Because in the play-ins, you have the 7-10 seeds. And I think I could see the Wizards getting into that part of the league. And not only that, but it's almost like Russell Westbrook gets to go back to His old ways. Because remember, he's not an outside shooter. He's a ball dominant point guard. Drive to the basket and dish out. And Bradley Beal and Davis Bertans are great shooters. So all they need to do is just stand at the three point line. Wait for Westbrook to do his magic. And they can knock down shots. I think the Wizards have put themselves in a great spot. With this addition. And I think they will have much better success than their counterparts in the trade in the Houston Rockets. Now, reports are coming out that James Harden would would have rather had John Wall than Russell Westbrook. So clearly he was not sold on Westbrook and Harden 2.0. Now, John Wall, he's probably the biggest question mark right now in the entire NBA. Because remember, he's 30- And he hasn't played in nearly two years. Okay? He's dealt with injuries to his Achilles and his knee. And for Houston, you're kind of just not really making any significant changes. John Wall is pretty much the same as Russell Westbrook. Now, Wall, I think his outside shot is a little better. But John Wall, he's just as explosive, just as ball dominant as Russell Westbrook. And so Houston hasn't really taken a jump forward. I think they, they took a, a step back with adding John Wall because no one knows what John Wall is going to look like. Yeah, he says he's he's feeling good. He's one in the best shape in a long time. But we don't know that until he actually gets in the game. We don't know that. And now Houston is going to have two former All-Stars who are trying to prove themselves. Because remember, DeMarcus Cousins signed with Houston as well. I don't think Houston really did anything that that made them go a step further. I don't think they did anything to advance themselves. Because John Wall is basically another Russell Westbrook. So Houston... I ultimately think this is going to lead James Harden out of Houston. I don't think he's going to stay there. Because Houston haven't, hasn't really done anything to get themselves as championship contenders. They're always going to be in it, but they're never going to be in it, if you know what I mean. Because, I mean, you have James Harden, yes. When you add John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins to the mix with Eric Gordon, Daniel House Jr., P.J. Tucker... Christian Wood, I mean, I I don't really see any significant changes for Houston. And I talked about it last week, that they've set themselves up for failure down the road. Because I think they're going to be good this year. Probably could see them get into the 4 seed or the 5 seed. But I don't see them taking a step further into becoming championship contenders. And I've said it before, I've said it again. The way James Harden plays... Is not the style of play of an NBA champion. I don't care who James Harden has on his team. I think he will never win a title without making any kind of sacrifice. Okay, because he's averaged 30 points, over 30 points a game in now back to back seasons. I just don't see Houston really doing anything to put themselves up there with the Lakers or the Clippers or the Mavericks or any teams like that. But I mean, Russell Westbrook, congrats to him. He's on his way to DC. And John Wall, he's on his way to Houston. Luckily, the NBA season is only a handful of weeks away. So we finally get to see how these new acquisitions are gonna play out. I'm gonna tell you a story. Now it is once again time to head into downtown Boston and look at the local teams. It's time for our Let's Get Local segment of the week. Now last week we talked about the Patriots and the Celtics and their futures, and we will once again do that this week as we see what will the Celtics do with their trade money and what could the Patriots do in Los Angeles against the Chargers. Well, I love that dirty wall. Now, before we preview the Patriots and Chargers game, let's go back to that 2017 victory last Sunday over the Arizona Cardinals. Now, New England, I think that was a game for their defense and their special teams. Okay, because the offense absolutely struggled. They only had a total of 179 yards. And that offense just, again, it looked like it has all year long. Not on the same page with Cam Newton making some mistakes. But luckily, we finally saw a game where the Patriots defense came through in the clutch and had a strong performance. Now, I will say it could have been completely different had the Cardinals had Larry Fitzgerald because that would have been two huge weapons that the Cardinals had and that maybe would have put them over the hump. But you have to... Remember that Kyler Murray is a top 10 quarterback this year and is probably one of the fastest QBs in the NFL. And they only limited him to five carries and 31 yards. The fact that New England was able to do that, kudos to them. Okay, because Kyler Murray, he was in the top 10 in offense for rushing. In rushing, in a league Made for running backs. But I don't know if this was on Arizona. Not giving Kyler Murray the versatility. That we've seen in the past. But he was only 23 of 34. 170 yards in a pick. And not only that. But they limited DeAndre Hopkins. To only 5 catches. For 55 yards. So it was just bad offense. On both sides. And not only that. But everyone forgets how important. Special teams are in this league. Okay, Those kick returns by Olszewski were absolutely phenomenal. And they put the Patriots in a great spot. And that's what you need with an offense like this when you have Cam Newton only throwing for 84 yards. Is you want to give them as great field position as they can so they're totally not behind the eight ball. So a props, props to the Patriots because I think they won that game more than the Cardinals lost that game. Now, in previewing their game in Los Angeles against the Chargers, this is, again, going to come down to the defense. okay? Because Justin Herbert, the record doesn't show it for the Chargers, but they are a much better team than their record shows. Remember, Justin Herbert is the first rookie to have three 300 yards or more passing in a game. Okay, so it's all going to come down to that defense in limiting Justin Herbert. Now, he's not a runner. He's not a mobile quarterback like the Patriots have seen the last few three weeks with Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, and Kyla Murray. Herbert is a stand-and-throw quarterback. He's a stand-and-throw quarterback. And if they can limit Herbert to under 300 yards, then they will win this game. Because, it, again, it's all going to come down to To the defense. They'll probably put Stephon Gilmore on Keenan Allen. Then it's going to come down to everyone else. But with the entire defense, they did give up the yards against Arizona. But they made the plays to stop them when it counted. Remember that fourth and goal stand right before halftime. They're going to need another showing like that against this Chargers team. Because Herbert, he's in the top 10 in total pass yards among all quarterbacks. They have to limit him, and then it will be a trickle-down effect on everyone else. It's all going to be about the defense at 425 in Los Angeles. Now, the other Boston team that's been making a little bit of noise are the Celtics. And they've been making the news a little bit. Obviously, they signed Jason Tatum to the Max Extension Uh, There's going to be no Kemba Walker until mid-January with the stem cell injection into his knee, which I think that's going to open up the offense a little bit more. Can really focus on Jason Tatum now and maximize his potential as the player who signed that five-year nearly $200 million extension. And not only that, but you get Jalen Brown as well who can develop his game. But of course the big story was the trade with Charlotte for Gordon Hayward finally became official and it was a trade that gave the Celtics a record $28 million for a trade exception. Now a lot of people are wondering what is Danny Ainge thinking in that brain of his? What is he going to do with all that money? Now the obvious one that people are saying is, is to go trade for an established player. Now, I really see two options for this. There's only two things you can do. Because I don't think you should go for a superstar who's got that kind of money. You shouldn't. But you should go for a wing that is in the 12 to $18 million range. Or you just hold out for a stacked free agent class. And when I mean stacked, I mean stacked in 2021. Okay. But let's look at option number one, trading for a wing, because I really think the Celtics need another three or another four to maybe give a little backup. Cause I don't think, I don't think Shemi Ojale is that player who's going to be that backup three or that backup four. I don't think, I don't think he's going to be that guy. So you need an established player. And there were a couple players who I saw reported that the Celtics might go after. And all of them come from Orlando. I would say Aaron Gordon could be option number one for a trade. And I'll tell you why. He's running on a a big deal. He's coming near the end of a big deal. No one knows which direction Orlando was going to go in. And he is an established four That you can put at the four, you can get Marcus Smart back to the bench, put Brown at the two, put Tatum at the three, which is his traditional spot. You put Gordon there. And Gordon, Aaron Gordon is a tremendous, and I mean a tremendous. Aaron Gordon is an established four. He is an established number four player. I I really do. I think he is. The other one I also thought of, Evan Fournier. The Celtics need shooting, and Fournier is a great shooter. Now, he won't, will he go into the starting lineup? Probably not. But with the Celtics, you know, I've said it over and over and over. They need an established veteran off of the bench. They need an established veteran off of the bench, and Fournier could do that. One other one I looked at. Terrence Ross he's also with Orlando he's got playoff experience from his time in Toronto and traditionally he's kind of knocked the Celtics back a time or two so those are the three that I could really look at as Danny Ainge possibly going for a trade but I would keep my eyes in Orlando just to see what that team does because that could be a trade deadline move for for Danny Ainge now I think the nucleus of Smart, Brown, and Tatum have to stay. You could maybe float out Kemba Walker, possibly. But I I think the Celtics should keep Kemba Walker. Maybe just float him around, see what possibly could happen. But those are the trade assets I should see. Now, option number two, holding out until 2021. Let me just read you a list of some of the free agent players, they're going to be out there for 2021. Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, Blake Griffin, Paul George, Mike Conley, Kyle Lowry, Paul Millsap, DeMar DeRozan, Drew Holiday, Rudy Gobert, Andre Drummond, the Greek freak, Lamarcus Aldrich. I mean, that is a stacked class. Okay. And if you're going to have $28 million to spend, You're probably going to have more, depending on what the rest of the team looks like. But you can hold out to capture a big-time player. And the one I'm looking at is Blake Griffin. Okay, he's got a player option in Detroit. Now, depending on what Detroit does this year, I do not see Blake Griffin staying with the Pistons. So, ding, 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 Danny Ainge. There's Blake Griffin right there. That's an explosive power forward. You line him up with Brown, Tatum, Smart, all of those guys. And I think you have a championship contender. You have a number one team in the East for next year if you can pick up Blake Griffin. So those are the only two options I see with this trade exception. I think, you know, you don't need Kawhi Leonard. You don't need, you don't need any kind of forward, any two, three, combination like Leonard or George or even the Greek freak because Giannis is going to get more than $28 million a year. I'll tell you that right now. But that should be the option. Go for an Orlando wing or wait until Blake Griffin possibly has a player option, turns it down, and goes into free agency. That's it right there. Trade for an Orlando wing or wait until Blake Griffin hits free agency. But hey, you never know with Danny Ainge. The mental mastermind has a ton of options on the table. Now it is time to scratch our heads, take a look at... The What The Heck WTF LOL Head Scratcher Moment of the Week. And I think most of you know where this is going if you remember from last Saturday. But this week's Head Scratcher Moment is going to... Nate Robinson. Now, I don't need to expand on this because everyone who's everyone knows... What happened to Nate Robinson? Nate Robinson was knocked out in a boxing ring by a YouTuber. By a YouTuber. A finely tuned athlete who, credit, hasn't been playing his sport for a long time, but is still in tremendous shape, was knocked out by a YouTuber. A YouTuber. Jake Paul. Okay? I mean I I just I feel bad personally for Nate Robinson because he's one of my favorites. He was one of my favorite NBA players watching with with a guy of that height doing dunks in the slam dunk contests. Like are you kidding me? That was absolutely incredible to watch and he was one of my favorites. He's a fan favorite for just his intensity and his dedication to playing the game of basketball. He was one of my favorites. But man, when you get knocked out by a YouTuber, I I, I feel I feel extremely bad. I, I I really do. And not only that, not only did he lose, but he got knocked out. He got knocked out by Jake Paul. Now I don't know the story about Jake Paul, if he has any athletic background or anything like that, but I know this was scheduled. This was hyped, and I I was just shocked. I was shocked to find that out because I've seen Nate Robinson after he left the NBA about, I want to say, five years ago. He's still in great shape. He's still in tremendous shape. I saw him in the Big Three League, uh, Ice Cubes Basketball League, a short while ago, and he looked great in that. You know, shooters never lose their touch. And Nate Robinson, he looks great. He looks like he's in tremendous shape. But then he got knocked out by Jake Paul. I mean, I know Jake Paul has been making all the controversy. But again, I just feel bad for Nate. I mean, he's the ultimate underdog. And he's been talked about about his height for so long. And saying that, you know, his height gets him nowhere. And then he overcame that to play in the NBA, to win the dunk contest, and at some points in his career become an established part of the team. I'll never forget when he came in for an injured Rajon Rondo in the 2010 playoffs against Orlando, and he put up, like, 15 points off the bench, you know? And don't forget what he did in Chicago. When Derrick Rose was out and they needed a point guard, Nate Robinson stepped up and took that team over. And now people are going to remember him for getting knocked out by a YouTuber. So, Nate Robinson, as much as I don't want to do this, I'm going to give you this week's Head Scratcher LOL moment of the week. That will wrap up another edition of let me speak thank you very much for watching and for listening and remember if you've got something you got to get off your chest just let the whole world know shut up and let me speak